0: Hey, listeners, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations, where we believe that everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. We invite guests from various backgrounds to share with you what makes them unique. Our hope is that you and I can learn and grow together. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today, I have the honor to speak with Tim Heal. Tim is the host of the Ordinary People's Extraordinary Stories podcast. Having spent most of his adult life in the military, he has since retired and he now interviews people about their extraordinary lives. So Tim, thank you for coming on. I looked forward to this podcast. I feel like we have pretty similar styles, but uh, I want to ask you this. I think I want to kind of take it way back. Why did you join the military? I think that's something that a lot of kids, especially my age, they're kind of asking like, what am I going to do with my life? What was kind of your motivation to joining the military I think that's an interesting path that not too many people take
1: not wanting to go to jail basically <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's a simple answer there we go
1: I mean the reason that I, I went into the military rather than um, into farming um, I can take you back a little bit further at the age of about 10 10 and a half well, we used to have something in the, in England called the the 11 plus. And you used to take the 11 plus to see whether you're, you're bright enough to go to a grammar school. So I took the 11 plus and failed it pretty miserably, to be honest, which meant that there's no way I could go to a grammar school. Mm-hmm. Following on from that, um, I grew up at my granddad's farm uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the time when I was a, a kid. And I thought, I'll, I'll be a farmer. And... uh at that time, there was a school called Haddam Hall, which was an agricultural boarding school, and you had to go and take a test to go and to see whether you're bright enough to to go to that college. So, at the age of sort of ten and a half, I went to this 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 college and uh, took an entrance exam and failed that pretty miserably. <laughs> so, so that that kind of ended my my farming career. So I then thought, well, I'll go and join the army. <laughs> I love war films and stuff like that, so <laughs> I'll join the army. And then at the age of uh, about 14 and three quarters was the first time that you could go and and take a test to go and join the, the, the British army. So I went over to a place called St Albans where the recruiting office was to take the test to join the army. Failed that pretty miserably as well, and this this... This, this recruiting sergeant, he says to me, son, if you can't, uh, if you can't pass a, a simple test like reading and writing, you, you've got no chance of joining the army. Wow. Well, that was a bit of a blow, actually. I took a long, hard look at myself over that weekend. And uh, come Monday morning, I decided that was it. I'm going to knuckle down at school. I'm going to learn how to properly read and write and uh, go to all the classes. Because I spent the last three years hopping away, skipping off school, um, going and get a tick in the morning uh, of registration, and then Scarpa. Anyway, this this particular Monday or this this week, I went in. I went to every single class. Half of the teachers thought I was a new pupil because they'd never seen me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for the next <laughs> six, seven months, I, I'd really knuckled down. I found it really tough because... At the time, I didn't know, but since found out that I suffered from, dy- from dyslexia.
0: I mean, that story is amazing. So it was like when you were younger, right, they pretty much told you, hey, you're going to be a failure. So how how do you kind of like deal with that? Like growing up your whole life, just kind of failing over and over and over and like still trying, right? Because I think some people, right, they kind of just after the first blow, they're just kind of like, yeah, uh, I'm done type of thing. They're, they're, they just can't handle it and they just never but you just kept going like how how did you do that dude like I, that's inspiring like how did you do that
1: well i think it helps to be a bit of a rubber ball to start with and it also helps to have your glass half full i'm one of those people that um that's always had a half glass full not a lot gets me down occasionally i occasionally I get a bit down in the dumps but it ain't long before i bounce back but um anyway so what happens about 7 7 months later Got another chance to go back and take the retake the test to join the army. I mean, I was hanging out for some really, sort of really rough types anyway, but there was a mate of mine that um, was all right. We went uh, to the recruiting office together, and uh, the recruiting sergeant remembered me from the time before, and he said, "Right now, here's the papers. <laughs> um, get on and do that. Uh, I'll, I'll be back in a, back in a little while to see how you get on." Anyway, my mates give me half of the answers. <laughs> and the upshot <laughs> of it was I managed to get a, a place in in the British Army as a junior soldier at the age of 16. And uh, on the 5th of August 1974, I jumped on a on a rattler uh, on a train uh, and went off to, to the depot of the Queen's Division at Bassinborn Barracks in Royston in Hertfordshire uh, as a junior soldier in the Royal Anglia Regiment. And kind of never look back.
0: That that's so cool. Like, can I can I ask you this? Just kind of get an idea. How, were you ever like deployed, like, and actually like see combat? Like, was that something that you actually like saw?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> first time I was in a in a proper proper type of conflict was uh, in 1977. I just turned 18, and I was found myself in. West Belfast in a place called the Ballymurphy in Northern Ireland, being shot at, rocketed, riots every day. It was a real, real tough um, tour, that six months. My section commander was shot on that tour, um, and effectively, I always reckon that he took a bullet for me because we used to go out in in, in patrols of sort of 12 men and and, and in four-man bricks, so you've got four, four guys as part of a 12-man patrol. For some reason, we, we came down out of a place called the Moyard into Springfield Avenue in the Valley Murphy. We'd lost the, the other two-thirds of the, the patrol, so there was just the four of us. We've come round this, this corner and my section commander says to us, uh, change. Well, we hadn't done that since training. We'd been out there for a couple of months. So we swapped sides, effectively. Mm -hmm. So I went. I was always at the front right, he was at front left. Um, I had a guy called Terry behind me and he had Chris behind him. So we swapped places. And uh, about another 50 metres down this road, two shots came out from an M1 carbine. One of the shots went straight through his groin and out of his backside. The other one went in through somebody's kitchen and... uh, I scared a cat I fired back uh, two rounds the first round we think whistled right past the the, the shooter's ear uh, and the second one I took out a stained glass window of a, of the Corpus Christi Church in the Ballymurphy on the follow up we managed to recover the weapon because I guess with, with my rounds going past his ear he dropped it and scarpered but the, the boss had been shot and uh Yeah, within within a couple of minutes, the street had filled up with about 2,000 people. It was a bit of a scary moment. Um, An ambulance came, picked him up and took him off to hospital. The rest of the patrol came along. We dealt with the situation, did the follow-ups, recovered the weapon, and uh, and that was a pretty scary moment.
0: That's crazy. Oh, my goodness. How do you kind of, like, just keep your cool in those moments like that? I feel like, I don't know, is it just... I would like to think that maybe I would, you know, let instinct take over and just kind of, but how do you just kind of keep your cool, turn around, start shooting back at that? Like that just, to me, just blows my mind.
1: It's just, it's just, it's just the months and months of training that go into pre-deployment training. And it's always been the same. That's, that's kind of what makes the British Army the best in the world, is that we train hard and, and end up fighting easy. I mean, every pre-deployment package I've ever been on has been tough, and they, they make it tough because they put you in everything, every conceivable scenario that they think might happen, and nine times out of ten, none of it happens. But you train hard and, and you fight easy, and that's the way that the British Army have always done it. That's
0: that's awesome. I That kind of that, that reminds me of a... Uh... Someone, someone was talking about the, uh, I, I I think it was, it might've been one of the people in the British army. He was talking about how like they kind of prepare, like over prepare type of thing. So then, like you said, like most of the scenarios you don't even encounter. And then once you be, you're placed in like a combat situation, then you realize, oh, this isn't as bad. And you kind of let that training take over. And it also reminds me, so I, I played, uh, basketball it's a pretty big here in the united states and i just remember that we would always kind of similar mentality it was like hey like we're going to practice very rigorously so then in the game we can just have fun right and enjoy the sport type of thing and uh if i remember correctly i think when i read your bio you did you play rugby is am i getting that right yeah
1: yeah i was i was well into my rugby most of my life I've, pl- I've played it on and off uh, for different teams where I've been.
0: What was kind of the draw to that?
1: Oh, it's just fun. It's so much <laughs> fun. It's, it really is. It's so much, so much better than soccer. The thing the thing <laughs> with rugby is that it's for all abilities and all shapes and sizes. If you take a look at soccer, they're all skinny little whippets that tear around thinking that... Uh, falling down, pretending they're injured. Yeah. You go onto a rugby field, I mean, you look at the size of some of the guys, I mean, particularly the, the, the second row and the forwards, I mean, they're all big lads. And and then you've got mm-hmm. a, little, a little scrum half like myself, not only got to make sure that I know what's going on in the game and get the ball out, but I've also have to tackle some of these big guys at, at, as well. <laughs> uh, and, and there's no no more fun than on a real horrible, muddy winter's day when it's pouring down the rain, the field's waterlogged, and you're soaking wet, and you're running around with a, a lump of pig's leather that keeps slipping out of your hands, and and you're rolling around <laughs> in the mud, taking people out. It's, it's so much fun. I mean, what's not to like about playing rugby?
0: I actually remember, uh, so one time my friend... Uh, they had like tickets to a rugby match here and I was like rugby I've never I've never watched that and it was actually in we had like a soccer stadium there they were playing a rugby match there and I was just watching and it was so fun like just to watch because I didn't even know half the rules right I didn't know how like the scoring system worked I figured it out towards the end but yeah I just remembered like the fan base and everything like they were way more energetic than freaking like and kind of to your point, like soccer players, I just don't like it that it ends in ties is one thing. I'm like, there has to be a winner, right? Like there just has to be a winner. Like this is what sports is about, but there's a tie. And it just makes me so upset when I, uh, when there's a tie type of thing. I'm like, there has to be a winner. Yeah, so rugby, I, I when I went there, I just remember like... Everyone was going crazy. Like shirts were getting like thrown off and they were just, let's go. I'm like, how the heck? Like I didn't even know we had like a rugby team here and they're like diehard fans and they're going nuts. I'm like, you don't see this in a basketball game like or soccer game or football game for even that matter. And am just like, these guys are like crazy. And it was fun. It was like one of the funnest sporting events I ever went to. So
1: so the other thing with, with a rugby crowd is that you can – wear the opponent's shirt in amongst the opponent, or you, you can wear your own shirt in amongst a, the opponent's stand, and you're perfectly fine. You don't get violence off the pitch in rugby. You get respect, and and, and everybody respects the, not only the, the fans, but the, the players. I mean, you look at a, a rugby player getting told off by a, a little tiny ref and and they're calling them sir. And <laughs> what the ref says goes. And you don't argue with them. It's not like soccer. So rugby is, is all about respect and respect for others and respect for the game. And it's got its core values. And anybody that sort of steps outside the core values are disciplined. And that's what rugby is really about. And it's it's such a great game to A, watch and B, play yeah we get a chance to play rugby it's great fun
0: thank you for sharing that i that's it sounds really cool and I want to kind of ask you this you kind of mentioned like uh, discipline respect i uh, I think for one right respect I mean that you probably saw that when you uh served in the military respect is probably of the utmost importance right and then same with rugby respect what would you say when you when you played Rugby did that kind of like translate into the military? Just kind of, it was expected of you like you respected, kind of your uh, commanders, your, or did you have like anyone like try to challenge that authority?
1: Well, the the, the kind of two go hand in hand. I mean, the fundamentals of rugby is is self discipline, respect for others, respect for the game, uh, and fairness. in In the British military, we have a set of core values of of. Courage, self, selfless um, commitment, and a whole host of really good mm-hmm. ethics that you you live and work by, and everybody follows them in the military. And uh, again, that's that's what makes the British Army what it is respected around the world for being some of the best soldiers in the world, and it's, it it comes from that that level of discipline that's instilled in you from day one.
0: So so having like your background stuff, let's say there's an average Joe out there. I, I feel like there's a lot of people that maybe don't have that discipline, right? They're just kind of just floating by the boat. They don't have the set routine schedule and discipline. What's kind of your process? How would you kind of help them develop discipline so then they can have a very, you know, I think happy life. I think if you have discipline, then it can lead to a very... Uh, happy life. But uh, what what's kind of your uh, take on that?
1: Um, well, I, I would encourage anybody to, to go into the military. Just maybe for, I mean, what happens in this country um, is when we're in, involved in a conflict, take Afghanistan, for instance. Um, we were in Afghanistan for the best part of 20 years. Um, I did three tours there. But during that time, we didn't have a problem with recruitment because young guys want to join the military, want to uh, to go to war to get a boy's own adventure. I mean, don't get me wrong, war is a pretty horrible thing and I've seen some pretty horrendous things in my time. But for a boy's own adventure, it's, it's, it's great and it teaches you so, so much. It, it teaches you respect for life, for one thing. But alongside that, You've, you've got camaraderie, you've got discipline, you've got the ability to trust people, and that's kind of lost um, in civilian society, um, and not just in, in, in the UK, but worldwide. Re, re, respect for, for, for humanity is kind of lost. For instance, whenever there is a, 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 an issue in this country, when there's, there's, there's a problem... Take the um, the pandemic, and the the vaccine rollout. It was all going p tong to start with. The first people they call in is the British military to come up with a plan to 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 fix the problem and 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 get the the rollout of the vaccine working properly. And that doesn't happen by default. That is because the British military are the best at what we do. And and whenever there's a a crisis, and we've had firemen strikes in the past, first people they call in is the military to go in and and man fire um, appliances while the the firemen are on strike. So that's what the military bring. It's that level of discipline, logistical support, and it all comes down to that initial training that the British military go through, and it's a system. Day one, week one, you, you're shown how to to look after yourself, look after your kit, and then the next few weeks they go about bashing you down, and then they start rebuilding you, and that's where all of those core values come in. When they start rebuilding you, you become a cohesive team. You're all pulled together, and that's where it uh, where it all comes from. And and I think. Everybody should have that. And that should be taught from a, an early age.
0: I, I actually agree. So if I'm just to kind of help me and kind of the listeners here, it's kind of like if, if everyone has like we can have different viewpoints of how we handle problems. But if we have core, like we all have the similar core values and core like, uh, yeah, core values then we can actually solve a lot of problems. We can be efficient, like you said. The military is very efficient. It can roll out solutions rather quickly compared to other organizations that are complaining about other things. Right? Is that kind of what you're getting at? If you have the, if everyone has kind of shared core values, but that then a lot can get done, and it's okay to kind of have those differing viewpoints. What's is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I, I think it should be, it should be taught from from elementary school, the military ethos, taught to kids at a young age, of of the core values of the of the military, and that's instilled in them, and then that will rub off then on future generations. I think I think current generations have lost that level of respect for anything i mean just take um i don't know whether you saw there was a big festival um glastonbury and greta thunderberg uh, turned up to have you heard of greta thunderberg or thunder uh, greta what's her face that swedish one that get playing um the, uh, playing hockey from school uh, that protests outside the Swedish And Now she's a, an international influencing star going around the world preaching climate change. Well, she flies around the world gobbing off. She was at this festival and talking about how climate change is doing this and the other. When the festival finished... The amount of rubbish that these hypocrites left behind for somebody else to clear up, just beggars belief. You, you couldn't make it up. You, the mess behind them was unbelievable. Rubbish. They left all their plastic water bowls, their trash all over the place. I mean, and somebody's got to clear it up. And they, they, rather than sort of take their own rubbish and, and dispose of it, correctly, in the bins provided. No, they just throw it on the ground. And these are the people that want to save the planet. These are the people that are complaining about the plastics in the sea. Yet they've left a sea of plastic across these fields where this festival's been. (laughs) Now, I was at a a demonstration a while back uh, for for British military veterans. I don't know whether you've heard about it, but We've had an awful lot of vexatious claims against the British military for one of another war crimes of thirty, forty, fifty years ago. Uh, the stuff that was happening in Northern Ireland—they chased us through the courts. Mm-hmm. So I went on a, a demonstration, and a big demonstration. We had a big protest outside Parliament in in London, and when we left, there wasn't a spot of. Uh, rubbish left behind. Not not a fag end anywhere that you could find across that piece of site that we were demonstrating on. Yet the day before, you'd had these climate protesters and the amount of rubbish that they'd left behind was unbelievable. And that's the level of respect that the general population has lost because they haven't had it hard. They've had generations of of parents that would let them get away with anything and everything.
0: Yeah, I. That's something I actually kind of wanna. I've been kind of thinking about. I. Something I think, like I. I kind of come to this. Uh, belief that there's three things that are needed for any. Types of success or any type of uh, successful relationship. So like you and the planet, right? You and another person. You and your spouse. You and your government. You and whoever. And that is if you have respect, right? We've mentioned that quite a bit today. And then number two, and you've kind of been talking about this, accountability, right? There has to be accountability, right? When you mess up, when you do something, or you have to be like accountability is key. And then the third part is patience, right? You gotta be patient with one another. Because honestly, we're all right, imperfect. We're not gonna be we're never gonna be perfect, quite frankly. Yeah. But, uh, if you're patient with one another and say, Hey, like they're learning as well, then, but like, you know, still have that sense of like accountability, like, Hey, like you should maybe do this type of thing. And then also have the respect for them. Then I think, and then like, it's kind of like the three pillars, like th- those are your three pillars and it's built on top of trust. And that's kind of this idea that I'm forming in my head right now. I'm still trying to get a good way to communicate that, but that's, Ultimately, right, it's called RAP, respect, accountability, and patience. But that's kind of my thoughts. And I kind of want to hear what's your take on that, respect, accountability, and patience.
1: Well, they're core values. I mean, respect comes, comes in several forms. Respect for yourself to start with. Respect for others and respect for the environment that you're living. I mean, that's one key factor. Discipline, again you need self discipline to be able to stand up for your own actions be responsible for your own actions and if you see somebody else not being responsible for for their actions tell them don't be afraid say look <laughs> you're not respecting the environment you're living in behave yourself i mean yeah it's it's so easy to turn a blind eye but there you go i mean that's 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 what should be taught in schools is those core values of life.
0: I agree. So I actually like to do something here with this show and all that. And towards towards the end, I like to ask the quote unquote intelligent question of the day. So this just kind of came to me and I'm going to ask this. How would you go about implementing that in school then? Right. How would we teach that? in school, those core values, so then we're not dealing with those issues that we've kind of been talking about today, and the lack of respect, lack of accountability, lack of patience. What would you say is your answer for that?
1: Teach the teachers how to teach correctly and get away from this ridiculous left-wing socialist rubbish that doesn't work. They need to teach these core values and they need to be taught how to do it and they need to to live by themselves i mean so many teachers are not teaching our kids how to think they're teaching them or that they're instilling rubbish left-wing propaganda into these poor kids heads and that's where it's kind of failing if they was to teach them Correctly to start with, teach them core values, then the world would be so much better place. I I agree. And I it think it has to start in in the way that teachers are teaching.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's an important point you made there. I think that teachers, right, like ultimately they they essentially implement how you think the ideas, and especially how schools set up right now, it's pretty much to hold like here's a problem, solution, problem, solution. And never actually tell you to like stop and think, right? Like like critically think for yourself and say, hey, like what do I think about this? Or what do, how would I go about solving this problem? And most of the time, I, I mean, this is more geared towards the listeners right now. You're not going to have an answer, right? Like I think we always expect, especially in this day of information, to always have the answer. And the reality is, is that we don't always have the answer. If anything, you should always be striving towards a better tomorrow, right? Like the, and again, with your point there, you have to be like, your foundation has to be those core values. And I, I, I agree. I think we've kind of lost those core values. And yes, I, I think it's okay to disagree, but I, I want to get this kind of your thoughts here before, you know, we look to wrap up, but Disagreements going to happen. I believe maybe maybe not, but how would you go about kind of solving disagreements? Right, like how would we go about kind of handling disagreements?
1: Open, honest debate. It's as simple as that. I mean, respect other people's views and and have a sensible debate about it. Listen to other people's point of views. Don't don't just dis- diss them because they don't. along with your way of thinking listen to what they've got to say and then have a discussion about it and then try to bring around to your way of thinking and if that doesn't work punch them on the nose (laughs)
0: there there you go that's (laughs) that's the answer right there so i man i hate to wrap this up you've been very phenomenal today you've shared a lot of good insights i think a lot of people actually can benefit from this so if they want to find you, reach out to you, I know I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, you have a podcast. What's the best way they can find you, reach out to you, you know, get a hold of you?
1: So I'm on all the uh, the popular po- podcast platforms. So you just put in a, a search for the Tim Hill podcast, ordinary people's extraordinary stories. I'm also on YouTube on the same, uh, the Tim Hill podcast, ordinary people's extraordinary stories. And um, I'm out there. I've uh, I've been a little bit prolific. I've I've got somewhere close on two hundred odd episodes, something knocking around the, the the Ethernet there. So uh, and there's there's a few nuggets of wisdom out there, and there's a, <laughs> a few giggles along the way.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. And is that is that podcast kind of just like? Other people you interview, or if I remember correctly, if some of the first ones are you talking about some of your experiences and what you've encountered, if, am I getting that right?
1: Well, when I first started doing the podcast just over two years ago now, um, we were in locked down, and, and that's how I got into it, um, by telling my story, because if I don't tell it, it will be lost, um, just like my grandparents, my great-grandparents so I did 20 half an hour 24 half an hour episodes of my life so if there's any listeners out there that struggle with a bit of an insomnia um they can put one of those on maybe put them to sleep maybe give them some nightmares as well um and then I I went on I did a few other episodes of uh, some more in depth stuff that I'd done in my life and then I started doing other people and uh I've now just recorded number 124, so there's 124 people that are going to be out there. I mean, I'm into sort of back end of October at the moment, with two a week going out. So, but I've I've spoken to some fascinating people, people that are so more intelligent and fascinating than me.
0: That's that's so cool. Yeah, for the listeners here, be sure to check that out. I. That sounds amazing. I know I for sure will be checking that out. But uh, Tim, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here, share your views, share your things, and just have an open, honest discussion today. I think it's been very fun to have you on. So just thank you for taking the time to come on today. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> no, thank you, Josh. I've uh, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's it's a bit different for me. It's so it's, it's slightly different for being a guest than it is being a host. So when I when I, when I'm being the host, I use these twice as much as one of these. And and I think mm-hmm. that's the key to, to being to being a good host. And and to being a good guest, you use this twice as much as you do these. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's, there's another market <laughs> of information. another key. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. That's That's awesome. So everyone, as you can tell, that is Tim Heal. As you can tell, he's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. He dropped his info there if you guys want to reach out to him, listen to his podcast. I know I will for sure. Uh, Stay tuned till next week. We have a great guest lined up for you guys. See you guys next week and let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out IntelligentConvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.